0: to InsureTech Insider, episode 94. I'm Sarah Kachansky. In today's episode, we're going to talk about user experience and user interfaces in insurance and how insurers and insurtechs are working to build and maintain engagement with their customers. As always, I'm not alone, and today I'm joined by Nigel Walsh. How are you doing today, Nigel? Nigel is on mute
1: for listeners. How's that? I am on fire, is what I was saying. I am... Uh, for all my US listeners, it is... what. <laughs> 80 degrees in London, uh, and in the UK it's hot. But don't worry, Sarah, it's going to rain tomorrow. Not
0: here, it isn't. No, 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 no. We have our own microclimate in Buckinghamshire. Thank you very much. Our scorcher day is tomorrow. We don't get the rain till Thursday. So, um, <laughs> for, for for our guests' uh, benefit, for those who don't listen to the podcast regularly, we have to start off by talking about the weather. It just, it just, you know, it's become a tradition now. Speaking of guests. To dive into our topic today, we are joined by uh, two excellent people. First up, we have B. Elbert, General Manager of Insurance at IBM.
2: How are you doing today, B? Hi, Sarah. Hi, Nigel. I am doing great. Um, I am in sunny central Illinois today, so we'll start off with weather. And we are about 80 degrees here too, so it's, it's fantastic here today.
0: Well, that's lovely. I'm glad everybody's enjoying some sunshine.
2: But can you tell us a little bit about your role at IBM, please? I think we're probably all
0: aware of IBM as an organization, but perhaps a little bit more detail on what you do there would be great.
2: Sure, I can. I'm the general manager for our global insurance business within IBM. And what we do and what we represent for IBM and for our clients is bringing together the solutions, the technology and services that IBM builds and produces and provide the intersection really for our clients in the insurance industry with solutions that matter to them. So by working with our own technology and our own services, as well as that of our partners, so our ISV partners, technology partners, as well as different um, services partners, to bring together solutions you know that that make sense in the context of our business. And uh, we provide that intersection for our clients and for IBF.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're also joined today by Graham Stoker, Chief Marketing Officer at Honcho. How are you doing today, Graham? Please don't tell me it's raining where you are.
3: <laughs> Afternoon, Sarah and Nigel and B. Uh, it's not raining. The sun's shining here in uh, in the north of England, not quite as tropical as all you guys, but uh, anything north of about 12 degrees is short and T-shirt weather up here, so it's all good with me. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, as I said, for joining us. Can you give us a little bit of an overview about Honcho, actually, and perhaps what it is you're doing there?
3: Yes, certainly. So Honcho is the first reverse auction marketplace for insurance distribution. Essentially, what we're trying to do is change the way that consumers buy personal lines insurance by trying to move away from this obsession with cheap at all costs, no pun intended, that consumers seem to have, towards helping um, our customers to buy the insurance product that is right for them, that meets their needs. And then to get that at the best possible price by using our uh, our uh, algorithmic-driven uh, trading platform. So it's if you think of price comparison websites as kind of the the, the revolution 10, 15 years ago, we're, we're more of a, a value comparison marketplace, I guess you could call it, to really help the consumer to get the thing that makes sense to them.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. Let's get into it, shall we? So we're going to start off today by talking generally about uh, user experience and, and user interfaces in insurance. Um, my first question, um, probably for both B and Graham, and in fact for you, Nigel, as well, is: How would you define user experience? Because I think um, we use these terms; they get thrown around a lot, as do the abbreviations UX, UI. But I think different people can have different interpretations of what they mean within individual companies, even.
2: Sure. So when we think about user experience, it really is holistic, right? It's, it's not just the digital experience. It's not just your experience in front of an agent. It's not just your experience on the phone. It is the holistic user experience. And, you know, we think of it as how do you develop that so it's engaging, right? When, when I think of experience, you know, kind of user experience and what that means and what that means for our insurance clients, it says, do they have an engagement with their customers that is meaningful that that they remember and yes that's digital but that's that's also you know analog and that is kind of in the place where they are right so when they're traveling or when they're somewhere else and they have to somehow access you know either an insurance product or capability or support or service how, do, how is that impacting them and, and how, do they, how do they feel about that and how do they walk away from that? So thinking about experience to us is the holistic experience for the insurance customers.
3: And, and I would absolutely agree, B, with what you've said there. For us, user experience is, and you might expect me as a CMO to say this, is how consumers experience engagement with a brand, our brand for us. Or, and that is across every touch point it could be across the digital experience of course that's as an insure tech we're very interested in that but it's everything else you know it's how you present yourself what your collateral looks like what your brand language sounds like it's it's every, it's the kind of the whole encompassing part of engagement with the brand because you can have the most amazing design and the most awful language behind it or the most amazing language with awful processes. So for us, UX is kind of the the entirety of brand engagement across all touch points.
1: It reminds me, we've all seen on LinkedIn all of these images that show you a path going straight down and turning left. And actually the path that every one of the users takes is straight across across the grass to get from point A to point B. So it's always understanding individuals and how we work and get from point a to point b in the most effective and efficient way whereas user interface for me is predominantly i say 100 you know 99 digital isn't it you know it's it's how we create those beautiful uh, engaging flows online that allow us to actually engage at the right point in the right way and that doesn't have to be an insurance app it could be our sat nav in our car i get into My car and my interface is so old and clunky compared to my wife's car, which is all modern and new. I'm like, ah, it just drives me mad. It's amazing to see how the cars update themselves so frequently and so often. And when you've got things that update over the air with new modern vehicles, it's nice to be able to see these things be updated as we
0: change the way in
1: which we interact.
0: I'm not sure I'd agree that it's wholly digital UI, because I think if I am, there is still an interface with, you know, somebody either if it's in a branch or in a shop, or if it's printed material, or if it's on the phone, like if you're talking about interface, it's literally what the customer, what is presented with, however that information is presented to me. So I think we tend to think about it digitally, but I think to go back to B and Graham's point, actually, it could be more holistic than that. Like I am still interfacing with a company if I am reading a print ad on the tube but it's still sort of a user interface to me. It might not be part of a specific user journey, but it is part of the holistic user journey if that is the path to acquisition.
3: And, and you're absolutely right. If you know, it's user experience. As you said at the top, Sarah, user experience and user interface are, are kind of banded around as synonyms and they're definitely not synonyms. And brands who do really well with their apps, with their online presence, with their physical storefront, if that's their kind of thing, all it takes is a chain, something in the chain in the back office or or further down with a partner who they may be working with to not do things with the same principles of UX design. And it kind of, the whole thing falls apart for me.
0: And, and do we think, I mean, I don't know what, you know, what experience perhaps anybody has of working in other areas of financial services, but I would say that we've all experienced other financial services. I'm sure everybody on this podcast has a bank account, a credit card, a mortgage insurance, you know, products aside. So do you think that a good user experience is more important? in insurance is is it a, a you know is it perhaps because it's a grudge purchase or because it's a purchase that you do so infrequently do you think the user experience is is much more important here than perhaps it is say for example in retail banking where you know you 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 kind of it's it's much more frequent and perhaps you 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 have less choice about provider I, d- I don't know is is it or, or is it equally important B, i'll come to you first on
2: that one we look at it as I don't know if you'd say it's more important or not, but it's different. Right? I think you have to acknowledge that the user experience is, is different. The customer's needs are different. And, and that's kind of one of the principles for user design for us is, you know, constantly looking at what are, you know, what are the customer's needs for what they're trying to do? I think if you look at specifically to your point, if you compare that to retail banking, pretty transactional, right? So I have requirements. I, I probably want to quick. I definitely want it, you know, 100 percent accurate. And so there's some requirements there around the security, the transactional nature, et cetera. From an insurance perspective, I may be in a situation where it's more relational on my user experience. And so I need, I need more of that confidence that it's it's a maybe a longer running conversation, or I'm trying to do multiple events, trying to, you know, kind of assimilate multiple events, which says I need more data. You know, I, I have to be able to bring more data into that experience. I have to be able to have, have a an ability to connect events potentially and, and recognize a little bit more about me in that servicing. So it's just, it's it can be very different. There's certainly transactional natures around insurance with claims, you know, things like that. But the experience itself is dictated by what is the client trying to do at that point in time and where are they? And I think in insurance the data side of it plays a very very large role in creating that experience
0: graham how about you do you do you i mean i suppose one of the things to pick up on what B said there is that you know the data that you need as an insurance provider is perhaps different perhaps it's more perhaps it's, it's- more complicated data you know depending on, on the, the purchase in question how do you make sure that you you do that in such a way that you continue to engage the customer whilst you're asking for all that I mean I, I you know I, I wonder if you have any sort of ideas about how you make sure you take what are probably quite traditionally long boring complicated forms that ask you you know we, we use the example quite a lot on this podcast but um, you know what kind of lock do you have on your front door and everybody goes not a blinking clue a, a silver one you know how do you how do you make sure that when you're thinking about that data and all the data that's required for insurers that you're not losing engagement as part of the process
3: yeah it's it's a great question sarah and we chunk things into what we call small moments of delight so we try and break down our user journeys into into chunks which have some form of closure is the wrong word but kind of definite completion part to it such that as a user I can see that, okay, I'm finished a bit, which wants to know about my inside leg measurement. Now it's going to ask me about the next thing or whatever other crazy questions that we love to ask in this industry. But by delivering those small moments of delight, it, it hopefully, by wrapping good design around it, or and that's you know UI design, brand design, good language around it, we can hopefully keep that customer engaged as we progress through the process. And the second thing we do, which I'm sure all InsureTechs do, is automate as much as we can so that such that we can we can strip out as much as is possible from having to be asked where we already know it so if something can be looked up we look it up wherever we can and by combining this kind of uh, strip out the things that we don't need to ask strip out the duplication introducing a journey which is slicker more chunked up it, it, we feel uh, and many are doing it not just in insurtech across fintech and beyond that consumers have greater staying power to get to the end goal that, you, that they want, that they came to you to get to.
0: So, so how much of a challenge is it, do we think, to taking into account what, what you've both just said, how much of a challenge is it for incumbent insurers to sort of translate what, what they already have into something that delivers a user experience, which I guess is, is fit for purpose right now? So, you know, one of the things that we talk about repeatedly is that people have had to go digital and had to go digital quickly. And there's a huge uh, potential for when you're doing that to mess up the user experience, because you're either, you know, the actual digital user experience or to to our point we discussed earlier, the holistic user experience, you're forcing people out of channels they know and like into a different channel. And all of a sudden, their experience is completely different. And they're stressed by the fact it's different, full stop. But you know, if you, if you think about the fact that incumbent insurers perhaps have been doing things a certain way for, a, for quite a long time, you know, what, what do you think that the biggest challenges are for, for legacy providers to make sure that they're delivering a good user experience across the board in, you know, in today's right now, I guess?
2: Sarah, I'll go ahead and, and uh, start off on, on that discussion. I think there's a couple elements in that, um, what changes that we've seen in insurers. One, mindset is a challenge, right, of, for the incumbents of, of moving from we are a product-centric organization and that's where our value lies to we are, we are a client or customer experience-centric organization and that's where our value lies. So that shift from the incumbent's perspective is they have to understand and be able to evaluate what it means to be, you know, kind of an experience-based organization and that that drives value for their company. So that, you know, kind of breaking through that barrier is number one and understanding the value that that creates for them. And then it becomes, okay, now, you know, once I can get past that and understand what I'm really trying to drive as value, what do I then do technically? right? Because I do have a lot of legacy. The insurers that we see that are successful in this kind of, it does go back to, I can create a good user, you know, kind of front front end or experience, but I'm really about leveraging the data that I do have already as an incumbent with new forms of data. So I have to have that kind of, Graham, your insure tech mindset of bringing in, you know, new capabilities, new engagement, new forms of data. But if I can leverage what I already have, with that, then I can, you know, I can move forward, I can grow. So those are, you know, challenges that they have to get over, or where we see the ones that are successful, wrapping, you know, kind of wrapping their heads around that.
0: Graham, did you did you have anything to add to that on on kind of the challenges perhaps that that legacy insurers face? You know, it, do they need to start the whole process from scratch? I mean, B was suggesting perhaps they need to rethink about how they even approach users and engaging with users, or can they build on what they already have? Particularly, I suppose in terms of legacy technology.
3: Yeah, I think B made some excellent points, and and I entirely agree. It's interesting that there's there's almost a double edged kind of ch- challenge and opportunity for incumbent providers, which is on one hand, they've got, generally speaking, large businesses with processes which are well embedded and which systems which are complicated to change and all the rest of it. But on the other hand, they have a lot of data, as B, as you said, to be able to then use, which us new startups don't necessarily have that depth of data to be able to understand what works, what doesn't work, what we could do, what what intelligence have I got there which can help me shape this brand experience or this user experience. So on one hand, brilliant tools, which many of us in InsureTech land will be super envious of in terms of depth of knowledge, depth of experience, and so forth. On the other hand, big ships to try and move quickly.
1: Let me tie it back. I love that, uh, both of you. Let me tie it back to something that I'm quite passionate about, and that's sports. And if you think about what Hawkeye um, from IBM's done for the years, everyone that watches Wimbledon and loves the insights that we get, we're able to see on the screen immediately all the data that we get about whether the ball was in, out, on the line, not on the line. Why I mention this is we're given insight to then make a decision and have a conversation. And I think when it comes to user experience, uh, user interaction, we need the insight and the context to be able to drive the debate in the right way. A first-time customer that's never bought insurance needs a different level of interaction and different level of friction. We all talk about frictionless as being good, but actually not all friction is bad, especially when you have a situation where there's empathy required or where someone's not done something before. So back to our dreaded lock question, or how much does it cost to build your house? I have no idea. I'm not a builder. So all these things require... The context of data to to drive to say, hey, B, well, this is the thing that we need to go and do. If you're stuck, this is where we can help you pop out into the right channel of choice, or get a phone call, or whatever else. Or we'll just guide you straight through the process. That's nice and simple, and can be done at your leisure as you go forward. Yeah, I, I think you're right,
3: and this is kind of what we're trying to do in Honcho is around helping around using data to help both the, both the consumer to hopefully help them to choose the thing that's right for them. But on the insurers or insurer broker MGA side as well, to give them the opportunity to help extend the brand experience or the user experience that we are trying to create into their world by saying, okay, so we know that this customer wants A, B, doesn't want C, wants an XS to be X or whatever it happens to be, so that they can build a product on the fly, which is exactly what that consumer wants. Now, that's helping me to deliver my user experience across to the next level of touch point. It's a hard thing for our downstream partners to do because, frankly, they've never been asked to do it before. So it's challenging the norms of what they've always done or what maybe they've done in the ag world or ag channel world for the last 15 years or whatever. But coming back to my point around the experience and knowledge that they've got, they they have You know, huge repositories of data to be able to say, well, this is really interesting. This consumer is asking for a product which looks different to a thing we've ever constructed before. Let's look back in all this data and deliver them, see how we can deliver them a thing which matches what they want at a price that they want to pay for it. So it's it's kind of moving
0: the
3: it's moving the dial for both consumer and provider on both sides of the spectrum, if you like, which is a real opportunity that the incumbents have got.
0: Yeah, no absolutely I think think for all we talk about the incumbents as being you know uh, perhaps behind um the, the newer players in many ways I think they do have huge opportunities that they just need to seize upon them they need to work out how to use what they've got exactly do you say we all have to use our strengths and they need to work out what those are and, and find out how best to, to leverage them I mean um just we sort of touched on it a bit but do we how, how important do we think it is to continue to offer multiple channels uh, I talked about it earlier that we've seen this huge push towards using digital channels. But my personal opinion, well, my opinion, Therefore, it is personal. <laughs> is that um, is that you you need to continue to to offer alternatives for those those who need them, and in some cases they will perhaps be more expensive. You know, particularly for talking about running call centres or or even doing things in person. But um, I mean, what what do, do you guys think? Do you think you can do things sort of entirely digitally, or do you think you can do things entirely digitally as so long as you know exactly who your target market is, or do you think there's always going to be a need for for a you know a human on the other end of a phone or, or or the other end of a video call, or indeed in person. B, will come to you first on that one.
2: The feedback that we have from our insurance clients and where they are operating right now, and where they're planning to go in the next, you know, three to five years, at least, is that they do have to be multimodal, and have to be able to support an appropriate, you know, kind of human touch and appropriate non-digital kind of interaction. But relying on those interactions to be more efficient and effective so even if it's not digital right how much effectiveness can i build into if i am on the phone with one of my customers making that agent right augmenting the agent or augmenting the call center person or building in as much technology as i can for some of those situations where i either need an opt out or i have to still mean i want to you know we're we're hearing from our clients. They want to still have a personal touch in some instances. Then there's other instances where, you know, they, let's say it's, it's kind of a highly transactional or in the moment, you know, where, especially where a mobile platform is in use and makes a lot of sense. You don't, you don't want any, you know, you don't want to have an intervention. You want it to go quickly, smoothly. And, and so, so they have to have that, but they're not, you know, all of the feedback we have and we and we just did um, a pretty extensive study around personalization. Our IBV, our um, Institute for Business Value team did around personalization platforms and data designed offerings. And that was one of the questions in there. And really, what came out is we still have to have the ability to have human touch, especially for some of those more you know difficult and and complex engagements with with clients.
3: And I think B is absolutely correct. There will be some forms of interaction across the insurance life cycle, whatever line that is, which, which are going to require talking to a human in some shape or form, I'm sure. I think what's important for me is ensuring that whatever the touch point is, whether it's online, telephone, face to face or whatever, it's consistent with the brand, consistent with the user experience. And it's also really easy for that customer to consume in a way that they don't feel they've had to jump through lots of our hoops as an industry to get to whatever the outcome was that they were looking to get to. And, you know, if you think about even just thinking about digital channels for the moment, whether you're offering a native app on iOS or Android or whether you do stuff on the web or whatever, is there a reason that a brand should have one or the other? Not necessarily. (laughs) Ask me five years ago, I probably would have said you should you've got to have an app. These days I'm less I'm less sure about that, which which is odd because we do have apps. But what I find is, as long as I'm offering consumers choice uh, of a channel which is easy for them to get to in the way they wish to engage with my brand at whatever time of day and night that is, then whatever it happens to be, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to create extra complexity. Customers will find the route, the easiest route across the grass, like you said earlier, Sarah. They're going to find that and and. If delivering that via the web is the best thing to do to help deliver that seamless experience, which ties in with your brand values and all the rest of it, then then that works for us.
1: I think, Graham, I'm going to be semi-controversial here in a way that I mean, we as insurers have to define and can define what our product comes with. And if that product comes with zero human touch, because in exchange of the lower cost on our side, we give up the ability to talk to someone, then so be it. And I'll give you a good example from the UK folks where there was a bank account years ago that had no access to their branches. If you wanted it, it was online only and you got a better rate as a result of it because their cost was lower. For anyone that's had a auto windscreen claim, at least in the UK, it is 100% straight through from going on the website or going on the app and going, I've cracked my windscreen. Is it in your field of vision? Or is it off your field division? if it's in your field division they replace it if it's outside your field division they send someone to go and repair it you put in your postcode and they you pick a slot and someone comes to your house and fixes it or your place of work whatever else. I don't need to talk to a single person and I think by setting the expectations early on both in terms of what you're acquiring and how it's being serviced is actually quite critical now of course, if you go into things like uh, I've been in an accident with a third party and this bodily injury. Then of course, you may want to get into a situation of going, I will now guide you through a process. It's complicated. Um, it might need some extra care and attention. I mean, and most importantly, we want to make sure if you're okay or we need to dispatch emergency services or whatever else to you. But I think we get the choice to define whether you go single channel, multi-channel, omni-channel, whichever your favourite buzzword is uh, and how you pop in and out. But I think we get the choice to control... What that should look like, and
0: how people choose to buy it. Interesting. Okay, I think the I think the debate over channels is actually one that's going to continue for a while. And I think um, just whilst we're on the subject, omni channels should be banned and never used. Again. I hate omni channels. The only word. word I'm willing to listen to with the word omni is omni shambles, which will make sense to um, mostly British listeners. everybody else. get used. Particular television program here. Um, and with that in mind, we are just going to take a quick break, and we will be back very shortly. Financial institutions are struggling to move fast enough to compete with new players. Their legacy tech and processes are holding them back. But there is an answer. Our new report, titled Rebuilding Financial Services from the Inside, is a comprehensive guide to what tech teams in financial institutions are thinking, and what they want the rest of the business to understand to help them move forward. Head to bit.ly forward slash 11FS rebuild to download it now. Welcome back. Let's get on with the show and over to you, Nigel.
1: Thank you very much, Sarah. So next section for us is no-go zones. That's quite an exciting area to start with. Um, in this part, we're going to discuss what not to do when building a product. I think this might go on for hours. We have so many examples. Can you explain what you're doing respectively, or what insights you've helped other companies get when it comes to UX and UI? B, do you want to go first? I mean, what insights... Are IBM sharing with customers based on where not to go and what not to do?
2: Sure, Nigel. Like you said, um, we could probably have a long conversation on this, and we've we've all lived and participated in many of those experiences. So I think one of the elements that we are working with our clients on is to to not be transparent in the complexities of their systems or of their data as they bring that to the forefront of their clients. Right? That they that they're in the client experience, design first, you know, use the design thinking principles, bring that to the forefront of what's important to their customer, what's important to what they're trying to accomplish, use those principles and the experience first, and then kind of build back into what data do you need, what access to the applications, et cetera, do you need, and how do you accomplish that integration, right? So, that, you know, versus the other way around versus, hey, I have these systems. How do I expose them out to my end and customers that, you know, those systems probably were never intended for that. So that's that's probably our number you know, one starting point with good design and <clears throat> good principles is is understand where the client is and what they're trying to accomplish and what you want them to accomplish and feel with that experience. You want to engage them. You want them to come back. You want them to be excited about you know what they're going to get with that experience all of those things are are paramount and then figure out what data and applications
1: it's such a good point i mean you've almost you've reminded me of the early days of self-service when we just opened up our internal world the customers went look it's self-service but it was just a dreadful horrible process that people had been trained for and as a net result we just upset customers graham what's your take on this
3: yeah, it's a very very similar point to bees actually. For for us, the kind of the the absolute biggest no no is letting the technology dictate what the product is, what the design is, what the customer outcome is. So we absolutely, and I think most of us in insuretech look at it from the other angle. It's you know what's the customer outcome we're trying to achieve, what's the product we're trying to design, what's the issue in the market we're trying to fix, and then how can we use tech and good design and other things to help us to achieve that. Uh, and this comes back to the point we discussed earlier around incumbents and the challenge they've got. Quite often, either willingly, knowingly, or otherwise, technical constraints from legacy systems and whatever else can limit what a potential product can be or what a design could be, and therefore what the outcome for that consumer could be. So for us, the biggest no-no is, is about letting the tech design the, define the solution. But the second one is it's around making assumptions that the consumer is always going to understand all of these sometimes quite complicated concepts that you might have because in every in every market and insurance is, is as bad as all there's lingo everywhere you know there's buzzwords, there's acronyms and you know we, we might talk about GWP and God knows what else but actually bizarrely consumers don't talk in that language and there are still providers, Both big and small, using in uh, in insure speak, in their customer comms. So that's a big no-no for us. Don't assume that everybody speaks insure speak.
1: Funny that, isn't it? I I, I get so tied up in this all the time. What what about new ways of working? Sorry, new ways of interacting with customers, such as chatbots. Do you think this is an important part of a good user experience, Sarah? I'm pretty confident you're going to have a story for me on this one.
0: I think chatbots can be effective when they are implemented in the right way. And to exactly to Graham's point, take into account what your customers, your, your particular customers actually need and want. And, and don't try and get too ahead of yourself, I guess, when, when kind of the, 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 the chatbot is is kind of the, the only option that's available and it can't answer, you know, the most basic queries. The, the worst thing... I guess the thing is, chatbots have a place, as as long as you do them right. The worst thing that I can think of is when chatbots just come back and say, did you mean this? And you're like, no, I didn't. Did you mean this? No, I really didn't. Did you mean this? No, definitely not. Give me another option. I, I don't, I don't. I think that many people have done them right yet. I think there's still a huge problem with chatbots and with the use of AI more broadly, particularly around gender. I think, first of all, no chatbot needs a gender. Let's just get that out there. And second of all, I think when AI is used to program chatbots, a lot of the data that's been used to program them is, is not representative of your entire customer base or indeed the general population. So that can cause problems and issues as well
1: it's a really interesting point that you mentioned actually and b let me come to you on this one if you don't mind where does it go wrong and one of the examples that we've noted here is female versus male chatbots and i know sarah and i have tweeted about this before as have many others why are all chatbots or assistants female should should they should they be female should they be male should, be, should they be non binary should they should they be something else
2: so that i mean that's a that's a good question and you know, I, I, I think it's the, the tone, what, what we've done some work on around this. Is it female? Is it male? You know, is, is, a, is it a certain accent? You know, kind of all of that. I think depending on where you're, where you're delivering, what population, you have control over that as an insurer. You should know, you know, kind of as the population that you're serving, what is the important tone? And, and we try to work with customers on that whether that's a male or female voice or or accent or not those those traits are probably not as we don't get as much feedback on that as we do does that interaction if it's a voice interaction with the chatbot does it feel like the tone is appropriate for what i'm trying to do that is more important and 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 really gets more feedback than you know kind of what that is so so we, chatbots are a part of the experience. We're not going to get rid of that. And Sarah, so I think you're right. There's some that are good, some of that, you know, it's still probably maturing, but I think it goes back to every digital interaction, just like a chatbot, you know, know your audience, the more you can bring in data and AI to that chatbot to know what you're, you know, kind of know who you're working with, gather the information and be as intelligent as possible then it works, you know. So um, you, we just have to keep progressing and maturing that capability understand what's important to clients around chatbots.
1: I, I think this is an area that we've got so much better on over the years. And I say over the years because it feels like 20 years ago, I was talking about IVR and decision trees and natural language query. And now I look at where I work and what we do and all the things that we've got and the, the things at IBM and elsewhere. It can only get better, but I don't know if our frustration levels go up as we progress or our expectations progress, but actually the technology in some insurers hasn't kept pace with many others, specifically in retail where we transact more frequently or or, or elsewhere. I, I, I'm going to regret the next question, but Graham, go on, give it to us with both barrels. What do you get annoyed by?
3: <laughs> well, to kind of continue the chatbot theme, what I get annoyed by is where brands have implemented a chatbot but I kind of only half implemented it. So they've maybe had a great idea by somebody, let's build a chatbot, our consumers are gonna love it. And they put this thing in and it's maybe got answers to 20% of the things that might be asked. And then kind of the the project team who deliver it quite happily rock off and do something else. And then nobody's really got ownership for it. It's never really built with new knowledge. And it kind of just becomes this forgotten channel. And in a few months time, somebody goes, do we have a chatbot? And every day that that thing's delivering its awful experience to customers, it's damaging your brand. So this comes back to what we said earlier on about the holistic nature of, of user experience, customer experience. If you're going to create a new channel, which, and with chatbots, you know, you know, you can create a chatbot with a click of a mouse from various SaaS providers. Uh, And and I'm sure done properly with thought, with consideration, they can be excellent channels and not necessarily really expensive for for brands to put in place. But without the commitment, without the buying, without the ownership, without the attention to detail to put knowledge into it that you would do training an agent if it was in a a contact center or whatever it happens to be. It's just brand damaging. So that's my bit of a beef about that.
1: I'll give you one of my favourites, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, my least favourite is going through a three-minute IVR only to be told there's no one available because the office is now shut. You know the time of day. How about saying, hey, we're shut. Either leave us a message and we'll get back to you tomorrow, or... This thing, we're shot. We're we'll leaving some message. We we'll get this tomorrow. It drives me insane having to go through that. Can I add another one? Now we're now we're ranting about things that annoy us. <laughs> go on, go on, go on. Wait, and this is
3: specific to, to online things, online websites or apps. Is where there's a, a, a data entry thing, and the keyboard on your iPhone or on your Android device doesn't default to the obvious form it should take to enter that thing. So if the thing is enter your phone number, and the keyboard comes up in qwerty, what's that all about? developers can make it come up with numbers. It's a small thing, but that's very, that's UI design. That's, as I said,
1: it's a really great example of user interface design. I've got one of my app for my Whoop fitness band thing that it's got a whole real estate of the screen and gives me the really top thing. And I'm squinting with my glass and like, <laughs> just use the real estate. Just stop making me feel blind. Uh, B, let me come back to you if I can for a second. Do you, do you think incumbents should approach user experience in the same way as the insurtechs have done? or is there, is there value in being different and staying different?
2: So I, I think they should, you know it, it, they do need to think about the user experience like do doing some in some aspects, right? Of, of making sure they're engaging. And like I said earlier, making that transition to understanding the value of their company isn't just the value of their product, it's the value of the whole experience and service that they're creating out for their customers. So I think that part is important, you know, that, that they bring that together and a lot of them are, you know, many of the incumbents are today or they're working their way towards that. I think where they differ is, is in acknowledging, you know, kind of the, the real estate that they have with their customers and, and, you know, they've been in business for a long time. They have developed a very trusted relationship with many of their customers and many of those customers like especially in life insurance you know those are 20 30 40 year relationships that they have built and so as as they move forward and bring in innovation for their customers and for the benefit of their company that they need to grow they also have to make sure that they they do continue that trust right that the that because they because they do maintain so much of not, they maintain so much knowledge and information about their customers today and carry that forward so how they treat security how they treat usage of data, privacy, sharing of data is is something that incumbents have to think you know pretty deeply about, because the number one item that they'll say is when they think about what they're about as a company, it's it's trust. It's trust in that interaction that they have. And so the digital experience has to make sure that they still relay that um, in the in um how they build that in.
1: It's really interesting. I think this is one where you say, actually, if I'm an insurer, with 30, 40 or 50 million customers versus an insure tech with a smaller number of customers. It's harder to create the considerations correctly in many cases for that, that large number or user base that you have to turn at any one time. Is there's a, I'm not going to say there's a lot more considerations, but there's a broader set of considerations that you have to take in place. Um, Sarah, one for you is, you know, can a big insurer try too hard and therefore as a net result, lose customers here?
0: Oh, I guess de- de- define, I suppose, to try too hard. I mean, I, I think, I think it terms of, it depends, you know, what, what you're customers want from you. I think, you know, going back to our, our point earlier, a lot of large insurers do have um, brand capital. You know, they, they've spent a long time building up brands that people know and they associate with, you know, certain qualities. Um, sometimes that can be negative, but a lot of the time, particularly insurer, there is there is a lot of comfort given to people from a big brand that they know has been around a long time that they, they recognize the logo of. Um, the one that springs to mind is, is the, I know this is about rebrand, but I think to our earlier point, the user experience is holistic is um, Aberdeen, which became Aberdeen, Aberdeen, I don't quite know how you're supposed to say that. They weren't. They decided to take all the vowels out, and and it just it just struck me as in this day and age, how is that a decision you can make about your your company? I understand that you know they were they were trying to remain relevant, but really, to me, that's a huge flag and a really good example of trying too hard, <laughs> um, because because they hadn't done anything to improve their products and services, to improve the wider you know the user journeys they offered, you know to to, to offer the custom the actual customer experience all they'd done was was try and make themselves look and sound more modern in inverted commas by removing the vowels i still don't understand that decision but i think that probably answers your question yes you can try too hard
1: it, it, it does indeed and actually god knows how autotype is good going, is going to deal with that on any of the handsets to graham's earlier point and bring up the right keyboard with no vowels on it maybe it will work let me, let me finish on this if i may before i hand back sarah and that's graham let me start with you What's the hardest part for an insurer or an insure tech to build experience around? If you were to pick one area that's really difficult, is it claims? Is it rate quote bind? Is it mid-service? Or have you got a view? For me, it's
3: slightly more fundamental than that, Nigel. It's it, it's anything which requires a handoff to another organization as part of that customer journey. So obviously in Honcho, um, we are... Uh, aggregating together prices from dozens and dozens of insurance providers. At the end of our user journey, there is a handoff into, into their world, both the complete buying journey, but also for the in-life servicing journey. Now, not specific to us, but specific to anybody who interacts with any other organization. Th- the hardest part is guaranteeing the continuity of the customer experience that represents your brand, because it's still a Hunchot customer, or it's still a customer of X, whoever whoever X is, and, and I'm talking technology, I'm talking presentation, UI, the whole thing. So this is the bit which keeps me up at night is what, when I hand my customer further down the chain, if you like, will they still be given the same, will they be still assured the same level of experience? It's, and it's really hard and I don't know how we crack it.
1: I love that answer. B, anything to add on this?
2: No, Graham, I think I think that's a great point. And it really goes back to, to my theme of you want, you want your customer to trust you, right? And those handoffs have to be trusted handoffs, right, as they move through the process. And how do you bring that together through technology capabilities, but also through the processes that you've set up? So I, I completely, completely agree with that. And, you know, it, it's our jobs, right, as technologists in the industry to help build that for our insurers,
1: yeah, I, I don't think I can. I don't think there's anything else to add. I mean, the, the one thing I think actually Graham is really important, which doesn't make it easier. Actually, makes it more complicated, is as we all talk about embedded insurance, invisible insurance, plugging into third party ecosystems, and all that sort of good stuff. Managing the operating model for customer experience is going to be really hard. So it's all well and good. I think rate quote buying is simple. I think claims is simple. I think MTA is simple in their isolated silo. But imagine we've got seven products from seven different providers, all plugged into a user experience from my retailer, my auto manufacturer or whoever. Managing that is going to be some hell of an operating uh, model challenge. With that, Sarah, let me hand it back to you.
0: Yeah, thank you, Nigel. I think I 100% agree that consistency is, is kind of one of the hardest things to achieve. But one of the I'd like to add on that is um, making sure that you uh, live up to whatever expectations you have set. So if you are going to say we are X brand who stand by these values, you really have to make sure you do that in today's day and age because customers are so willing and wanting to align themselves to specific sets of values and to specific uh you know whatever means most in their life they want the providers they use to to stand by that as well and i think saying you're going to do it and then doing it throughout is is actually very difficult okay well that wraps up today's discussion thank you all so much for joining me uh where can people find out more about you and your companies b we'll start with you
2: Thank you, Sarah. Can certainly find out more about it. at ibm.com/insurance, and as well as on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, IBM is out there, as, and me personally, I'm out there as B Albert. You can find me, and, uh, and uh, happy to share additional thoughts with uh, anyone that uh, wants to reach out to me. And uh, thank you. I just want to say thank you for the opportunity today to have this conversation. Thank you, Nigel, Sarah, Graham. It was fun. And um look, look forward to seeing additional insights from you. And also, it's a sharing process and understanding too how IBM can continue to serve, can serve the insurance population through the work that we're doing around data and AI and, and cloud and um, working together with the industry.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Graham, how about you? Where can people find out more about you and Honcho?
3: Thanks, Sarah. And and, and and likewise, thanks, B, Nigel. Sarah, I've really enjoyed the chat. There's some really, really good uh, conversation points in there and things to think about. Uh, you can find out more about Honcho on our website, gethoncho.com. If you're in the UK, you can download our app for Android or and iOS from their appropriate app stores or look for Honcho Markets Limited on LinkedIn.
0: Brilliant. Thank you again for joining us today. Um, and Nigel, how about
1: you? Uh, and you can find me uh, fighting the good fight as always on Twitter at Nigel Walsh or on LinkedIn at Nigel Walsh.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, do subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps to make us better and it helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Insure Tech Insider. You can find us on Twitter at InStech Insiders or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.